Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Steve Pichelny, an internationally famous crypto artist and technologist and multi-officer of Fast Cash Money Plus Biz. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your artwork, which like totally speaks to so many things that I'm interested in. And like... There are so many ideas that you have executed by definitely stealing them from my subconscious. And I really, <laughs> I want to commend you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. But before we start talking about all this killer artwork you've been doing lately, I wonder if you could kind of introduce yourself to audiences by just saying a little bit about kind of your background, who you are, and how you got interested in art and the kind of art you're making now specifically. Yeah, sure. So I think my background is a little, um, like it's sort of roundabout how I got to uh, like the internationally famous crypto artist where I am today. Um, but I guess like it, it kind of started in high school where um, I think sort of like you, I like I aspired to be a filmmaker and I wanted to go to film school, which sort of ended up um, leading to just uh, going to Bard College, which is just like general purpose liberal arts education. And from there, I... I actually sort of like dropped film pretty quickly in favor of majoring in economics. And from there, I, I dabbled in journalism for a little bit, but ultimately ended up becoming a financial analyst for, uh, I think like three years in Chicago before I realized like, Hey, writing book reports on closed end mutual funds isn't really that interesting. Uh, so I, Quit that, and I did a boot camp, and just uh, after like teaching myself a little bit of coding on the side, so I did the boot camp, became a professional software engineer, and I think like pretty quickly into my um, my coding career, I realized that coding can also be a pretty good form of artistic expression. So I I guess it was like around that time I started experimenting by making just I guess more just like kind of strange websites that were more uh on like the abstract visual end of things. But after after a couple years of doing that, I started experimenting by just making other strange websites that looked a little bit more like websites. So kind of taking a little bit more of a multimedia approach with um with uh with images and text and all that stuff. And that led to creating essentially like a web of websites that all kind of like refer to each other and construct this really elaborate false reality. And then I kind of just like was getting ready to stop doing that altogether. And then I discovered NFTs and that just sort of like lit the spark under me again. And then I got hooked up with the Artblocks folks and started getting really into generative art. And then from there, um, I've been sort of like expanding my scope a little bit to just like other NFT collections, like photography and I guess like semi-generative pieces. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of your early work and sort of its inspiration and, and the kind of stuff you were developing kind of pre-NFT. 
Um, were there things you were looking at that were kind of inspirational to or to you or got you thinking about making art in a digital medium, making art that was kind of on the internet and of the internet and referencing the internet? Uh, like sort of where did the kind of spark to get you working in that medium come from? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it really just came from being online constantly and just experiencing lots of different websites and in a lot of ways just being sort of dissatisfied with the uh, the homogeneity of lots of websites I was coming across. Like, it just felt like I was sort of batting around like Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and back to Twitter and all these websites use like Bootstrap and they all kind of look the same. So I think the uh, the initial foray into that was just to be like, hey, I just want to like build websites that look different. And it sort of reminds me of uh, back when I was growing up and just in like the, the 90s and the early aughts of just being on the web. And it's just this this very strange place where you're kind of shifting from website to website, from like one reality to another reality. And there are all these like interesting connections going on. And... I guess like initially I just kind of wanted to recreate that, but I think in, I guess the, the first more like actual like website website that I made was a fake, fake news website called fakebullshit.news, which was in, I guess that must've been in around like the tail end of 2016, like right after the, uh, the presidential election. And I think the inspiration for that was, um, pretty much just reading about the uh, the fake news websites that had been, uh, you know, supposedly like created by, you know, Russian PSYOP agents and all that. And then counter to that, you had Trump kind of saying like, oh, well, actually, New York Times is fake news. And then like, you know, I just thought it was like an interesting dynamic where it's just like, you don't really know who's making these websites, what's real news, what's fake news. And seemed also, I read a lot about how some of these websites were just created by people who are actually just Democrats who are just looking to make a buck. And I, I guess it just sort of sparked my imagination in terms of, uh, you know, assessing reality on the internet and just not really knowing what is, what is true, what's false, what's real, what's fake. So I thought it'd be funny to not make a, a real fake news website but like a fake fake news website and um yeah and then from there i um one of the the things i knew i wanted on it was like oh i want some like fun fake advertisements on it and for one of it i i just referenced a website that i owned the domain to which was uh, fastcashmoneyplus.biz which i i bought just because i i simply thought it was like a funny uh website name and I just, I threw up some like abstract art on it just as a, a placeholder. Um, but then I, I started to realize like, hey, this is actually like a really good idea and I'd really like to run with it. So the following year, um, which I guess this was 2017 now, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum started hitting a, a pretty massive bull run. So as the year kind of, drew to a close and this bull run was kind of like hitting a fever pitch. I decided like, okay, for my, for my Christmas break this year, I want to learn solidity and just like try and just, you know, mess around with smart contracts and see 
what comes out of it. And I already have this website, fastcashmoneyplus.biz. So I already kind of have a little bit of a visual concept and also just uh, a, m- a more broad concept of like what I want to do with it. So I sort of used that as the the jumping off point of making my own shitcoin from scratch, basically. And then from there, just building this really elaborate website that um, just kind of pushed the coin. And then from there, just almost it, like just for fun, I uh, I wrote a puff piece on fakebullshit.news for fastcashmoneyplus.biz. And then I linked to the puff piece on fast cash website and then from there is like okay i feel like i have something here so then i start making other websites that sort of fit into this larger ecosystem where each website sort of like gave the other one like a little bit more uh credence to it so the, the aesthetic of the fast cash money plus website is itself kind of amazing this weird kind of angel fire like bizarre like 90s early 2000s internet kind of look like super busy with all sorts of weird things happening but then the language is this it it's like this it almost reads like a scammer but you don't understand what they're talking about <laughs> like and i got to say i like does it does it work what is it exactly have people invested in fast cash and is it worth anything it's that, that that's a a difficult question to answer um and it's I mean, it's interesting, though, because I so I did this project in uh, at the tail end of 2017, and I published the actual contract in the middle of January 2018. And at the t- that was like around the peak of the Ethereum market at the time. So um, there was a lot of just interest in the ecosystem and. Pretty much, I made this project, and the two forms of publicity I had were I'm going to show it to all my friends, who a lot of which didn't really get, but some of whom thought it was amazing. And and then um, the second form of publicity was just to post it uh, random places on the internet with little to no context whatsoever. And I think one of the best uh, reactions I got was posting it to BitcoinTalk.org just in the like the ICO section, just without like any content, basically just like staying in character. And uh, it, it looks like a very funny uh, thread of people being like, hey, this looks like a scam. I don't really know what's like, why this looks like a used car. Like People just like didn't really get the joke, but who are reacting to it exactly as they were like intended to react to it. And uh, yeah. So then like maybe back then, like two people bought like one fast cash each for like 25 cents. a pop. Oh yeah. So the other thing about it is the, the contract structured. So the sale price doubles in price every week for 70 weeks or so. That's how you get the guarantee. Yeah. That's how it, cause, cause the price just always goes up. And then, and then it hits a permanently high plateau, and then it becomes a stable coin. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that was that was the concept, basically. 
And, um, and also the joke is that, you know, there's no liquidity for it and you can't actually sell it for that much. You can only like buy it for, for that much. So now it's, it's quote unquote worth 45 and a half Ethereum, which means that if you want to buy a full one, it's, you just have to shell out 45 and a half Ethereum. Um, but, but yeah, so like a couple people just bought it like one a piece. Um, I had a couple friends that bought it. Um, I had one uh, actual designer in New York who bought uh, $50 worth, who I then later tracked down like a couple months ago because I I, um, I also wanted to use Fast Cash as a token for minting one of my projects on Artblocks, uh, fake internet money. And so I, I tracked this guy down and I'm like, hey, you you have like 50 fast cash. So I want to let you know that you could actually like mint uh, some fake internet money with it. And, you know, he was like super appreciative. He's like, wow, like I didn't really expect this to, to happen. And it was sort of funny. Cause he told me like he downloaded MetaMask like specifically to like buy some fast cash. And like at the time, $50 was a lot of money to him. And it was, it was just like a, a, a weird, funny story about who is buying fast cash in 2018. But then in uh, like earlier this year, I was doing um, an Arplox drop uh, called Fake Internet Money, which was actually, I, th- I think, kind of dropping at around the peak of the current uh, NFT hype cycle. So there was there was just like a lot, just like just by virtue of being in the right place at the right time, like as much as I'd like to think like, oh, yeah, I make I make awesome art. It's all all because of my awesome art, people just wanted it. Like it was, it was a, like a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time. Um, but you know, there was a lot of interest in the project. So I sort of saw this as an opportunity to funnel people through fast cash money plus dot biz in the way that it always been meant to exper- be experienced, which is uh, frantically and confusingly where everyone's like, Oh, I, I, I need to make fast cash now. How do I, and like kind of clicking all the, through the website and trying to like solve the puzzle of how you actually buy the the token. And yeah, I think people liked it. So it, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm kind of wondering like when you first created a lot of this internet based art, what was the audience that was reacting to what you were creating and what kind of reception was there and sort of to what extent has that changed or developed or become different both with respect to the older work, but also with respect to the kind of stuff you're doing now when you discovered and started kind of using NFTs as a medium for creating and distributing the work that you're making. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, I guess the, the short answer is that there wasn't really uh, an audience for my work before, which like, honestly, like it was like a little discouraging and especially after um, I did, I, I put in like, a lot of effort, like my whole heart and soul into like building this, this weird, strange passion project website that like doesn't really fit into any other categories as far as I could tell. And, you know, it's just like some of my friends liked it. A lot of them didn't get it. I posted on the internet where like a handful of people are like, wow, this is amazing. And then 99% of them just like either don't care or they don't get it either. And I sort of did that through a few different websites. So I did 
the fake fake news website, I did Fast Cash, and then I did another website called friendworld.social, which was a, a fake social media website, which I spent even more time with. And yeah, like it, it was honestly like a little bit discouraging that I, I put in like a lot of effort into sort of like building these like really kind of intricate uh, puzzle pieces and like this, this universe and, you know, people would enjoy it, but you know, like there, there really wasn't like that much of an audience for it. And maybe I'd, I'd, I'd spend a long time building it and then I'd get a couple weeks of people uh, giving me basically saying they liked it. And then after that, that was sort of like the end of it. And yeah. And then like, I, I honestly, like I kind of, like that's why I didn't make more of this art. I just sort of did it in my downtime and uh, just for the sake of doing it. But then I think like once NFTs came along, you know, like aside from the money, it's just the one of the main motivators for it was like, oh, cool. Like I can actually get like an audience for my artwork now. And I think over the last six months or so, that's been uh, one of the things I've definitely like enjoyed the most where you know, like the money is great and everything, but it's also really cool just to have people just like consistently like engaging with your art and uh, sort of experiencing it and like picking out like all the little details and sort of like giving it the the attention that I always sort of like wished that I would have gotten from it. So when did you first start getting interested in NFTs? What What drew you to them? And how has working in this new market slash medium affected, if at all, the kind of the way you think about the art that you're making? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the, um, like, it, it sort of goes back to, like, how I got into cryptocurrency to begin with, which was just a friend of mine introduced it to me in in college. So pretty much since, like, 2011, I'd been sort of, like, passively following like Bitcoin markets and Ethereum and just sort of like seeing what was going on. So then in 2017, when I was working on Fast Cash, I actually went to a uh, a meetup in like the New York City Ethereum meetup group where they had this this session called like art and blockchain. And I was like, cool, like I, like, I didn't know anyone else was doing this. This sounds awesome. And I, I went to it and they had they had three speakers the first two were very forgettable and I, I forgot them. Couldn't tell you who, who they were. And then the third speaker was, um, it was these two guys who were talking about how they uh, published a bunch of tokens on chain and each token represented uh, a pixelated image of either a man, a woman, an alien, an ape, a zombie or anything, something like that. And they all had like these different features and like all that stuff. And which, you know, obviously it was, uh, it was like the Larva Labs guys talking about CryptoPunks. And, you know, like, I think like that talk definitely like stuck with me. And I guess like at the, I forget if it was like a, if I already knew what NFTs were back then, or if that was like my first introduction to it. But I think just around the time, around that time, I became aware of like what was going on in the ecosystem. So I think between that and just, you know, like CryptoKitties, I was I, like, I knew NFTs existed. And then uh, I guess in the last December, a friend of mine introduced me, basically reintroduced me to the ecosystem and was saying like, hey, like NFTs are really taking off. I'm like, 
real, really NFTs? Like, okay, that's like, sure. Why not? And, you know, like at, at first I was like looking at it and, um, like, I think like you, I was just fascinated from the, uh, like the conceptual aspect of it and just like why people found any value in this and like all that stuff. But like a lot of the art I was seeing just wasn't really that interesting. It was just sort of taking older mediums and like plastering them onto this, this new form. And then, then I guess like it was around that time, like I, I saw Artblocks and Crypto Voxels. And I think with those two projects, it really just like clicked. And it's like, oh, actually, like there is some like really cool stuff that you can do on chain. So, yeah. So then that was really kind of like the, the thing that sparked my interest in NFTs this time around. And then just as I got like more immersed in the ecosystem, um, just my brain just went like, it kept going like, but like, what is this stuff like really? And like, why do people treat it like this? And I just sort of like felt the need to kind of like deconstruct a lot of it. So, um, so yeah, I think just with like some of my more recent projects, I've sort of explored a lot of the, that deconstruction, um, specifically with, uh, fake internet money and also more recently, uh, I did an airdrop to some of my collectors called IOUs. And then last weekend, I did a project called uh, Negative Value Certificates, which have negative par values, which was uh, a fun one. Well, so, so much of your work, both pre and post NFT, seems to kind of circle around kind of concepts derived from the kind of world of finance and the financial services industry in this kind of cracked, surreal sort of way. Were there particular aspects of the kind of developing market for and functionality of NFTs that specifically informed sort of how you made that transition from the kind of pre-NFT work to the post-NFT work? Like what particular aspects, if any, of NFTs as a market and as a tool were kind of inspirational or appealing to you uh, in terms of the work that you're creating in that context? Yeah, I think the, I think the really interesting thing about NFTs is that, um, well, I guess just like backing up a little bit in, um, so at like, so in college, I majored in economics. And one of the things that sort of like really interested me there was um, just from like a philosophical standpoint, it's just like, why do financial securities have value and you know i think like the, the sort of like boring but also like somewhat accurate answer is you just sort of look at the uh the discounted future cash flows of the security and it's like okay well if i buy this then in theory this is like more money to me coming down the line so it's like okay so you look at cash flows and then that's that's that and then if you look at like what gives the currency itself value that's like a little bit more of an interesting question but you could like after a while you sort of come to the conclusion like okay well you know i I could use this to pay my taxes and the government has guns so it's like it 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 has this sort of like fundamental utility to it um but then i think with like nfts it like there really aren't any like easy answers to it so you sort of have to revert back to the interesting questions of like what give all like financial securities and currencies meaning uh, without, yeah, like without the easy answers there. 
And I think um, one metaphor that I very frequently use is, um, are you familiar with the, the Keynesian beauty contest or like John Maynard Keynes? Yeah. So, um, which is basically, you know, John Maynard Keynes, uh, famous economist of the thirties came up with this thought experiment where, uh, you look at a standard beauty contest, which is you publish, uh, the pictures of a hundred contestants in the newspaper and people, write in their answers of who they think is the prettiest and the contestants that get the most votes are the winners. And that's, that's that end of story, nothing interesting happening there. Um, but the twist that he put on it was what, what if instead of, uh, instead of voting on the contestants you thought were the prettiest, you voted on the contestants that you thought were going to receive the most votes. And then from there, you start to get into this interesting recursive like game theory cycle of like, yeah, well, I think I like this contestant for X, Y, and Z reasons, but I don't think that other people are going to like this contest contestants for the same reasons. So then you just get into this, this game of trying to predict what other people are going to see as the value in this thing. So he, he used this as a metaphor to describe the stock market. Uh, personally, I think this applies to NFTs, uh, even more accurately because NFTs don't have a cash flow to, or at least most NFTs don't have a cash flow to fall back on. And also NFTs are like, you're literally, especially the art, you're like, you're literally looking at which is the prettiest and you're looking at it for its aesthetic value. So if. I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's weird and confusing, but that's sort of why I'm into it, I guess. <laughs> Maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience working with Artblocks. Like, how did that come to happen? What were the conversations with them like? Um, what was the, the body of work that you produced for them? And sort of what was the experience of selling it like? Yeah, so originally I put in my application to do a project with them in... I think December of last year, which was roughly five minutes after I found the website. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Um, and you know, like I saw the website and I think just like immediately, I, I just really liked what they were doing conceptually. And I, I like, I definitely got it because it's like, okay, they're putting all the code on chain and you have this cool thing happening where every time someone clicks the mint button, they are, willing this piece into existence from nothing. And if they put in like one way lower of a gas price, and that's going to affect the random number generator and they're going to get like a totally different piece. And like, so there's this weird element of like chance there and it's like the whole thing's really cool. So I, I looked at it. I'm like, cool, this looks awesome. I want to be a part of this. I put in my application. They, my understanding is they got a lot of applications and they're still getting a lot of applications because there's, I think a, a lot of people just kind of see it and they're like, wow, there's a lot of money at stake here. And whenever that happens, you just have everyone trying to get in on it. So yeah, so I just put in my application and I pointed to some of my previous work, which like most of it wasn't generative or if like some of it had uh, ger- generative elements to it, but it wasn't quite the the sort of 
quote unquote, like long form generative art that they've come to be known for. So, um, so yeah, so I, I guess like when I first started doing my project, there was like a little bit of a learning curve and trying to like figure out how to, how to do a project that sort of like fits this medium. But, but yeah, so I put in my application and I think they, they got back to me in, in March or so. And uh, Jeff Davis, who's their, their chief creative officer, basically just like sent me an email and it's like, Hey Steve, you still interested in doing a, a project for Artblocks? And this was, this was like a week after archetypes dropped where it was, which was also the first piece I tried to buy and it just sold out in like a minute. And so when I read this email, I'm just like, heck yeah, I'm still interested in uh, doing a piece for art blocks. Um, so, so yeah. So then Jeff was like, okay, well, let me, let me, if you have anything, then I'm happy to see it. If not, then uh, I guess we'll, we'll get back to you. And I was basically like, okay, well, give me, give me like a week and I'll, I'll like try and get you something. So uh, I I ended up just like taking a few days off work and just like doing like a mad dash to get like a first draft of something together, which ultimately turned into crypto God King. And then after, basically after the week I sent him the first draft and which was enough to sort of like move forward on it. And then, um, after that, I, I kind of just like continued to tweak it for another few weeks after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like the, the process was, I mean, like, I, I think at the, the end of the day, like they're still kind of like figuring it out and it's like what they're doing is sort of like a moving target and they're trying to create a product that previously like didn't exist in a market that is still very young so i can't like to be honest like yeah that like there there may be like some frictions in the whole like process of kind of taking the work from my computer and getting it on chain and you know in the hands of other people but at the same time it's like i don't know if there was uh, a smoother way it could have gone just because everything is so so new and like kind of hard to to figure out but yeah, I mean, I think like the, the way it works nowadays is um, you finish your previous project or uh, you they get to you in the applications. And then if you've done a previous project, there's a two-month cooldown period. And then following that, you basically go to them and you're like, hey, here's here's my project. Uh, let's Let's do this. And they go, cool, great. And then it there's a week long uh, curation review process where they have a curation board that looks at all the upcoming projects and batches, and sometimes they'll pick one or two out that they want to hold for a, a curated drop. And if they don't want to hold it back, then you just continue to move forward, and then you they set up a shell for you on, on the main net and then you mint the, the zeroth piece. And then from there you get a spot on the calendar and then it just lots of anxiety and self doubt, no matter who you are or like what stage of the process you're in and you, you just prepare for the, the drop itself. 
Mm -hmm. And when you did that for the first time, how did it go? And how did it affect your kind of fan base and the reception of your work more generally? Yeah, I think the uh, the first one wasn't... It's sort of weird because I feel like each drop had a very different vibe to it where the first one was right after they launched the the factory. So prior to that, they um, all their projects were uh, more or less curated. So everything was selling out very quickly. And then they released the, the, the factory section where things weren't really selling out. And it was sort of in the early stages of uh, a, a quote unquote bear market for, for our blocks where everything was like slowing down. So originally I was like, okay, I'm going to sell 999 of these at 0.0666 ETH and we'll, we'll see what happens. And I think in the first like half hour, maybe 50 or 60 sold. And maybe after the first day, 75 sold, which you know, like I wasn't like totally surprised, but it also wasn't quite what I was hoping for. And then I, yeah. So then I think over the next like month or so, I think I left it open for like five weeks before I decided like, okay, I want to, I want to get the ball rolling on my next project and I want my, my cool down period clock to start as soon as possible. So I ended up capping it at 180 pieces. And then I was work. I started working on fake internet money. And while I was working on that, I kind of went on like a little detour where I I just found a pattern that I liked that I was like riffing off of. And I was like, okay, well, fake internet money is taking a little longer than I thought it was going to take. I might as well just get another project in there just for the hell of it. So. Then I planned to, which ended up being, um, I saw it in a dream and I originally planned to just do like a really small, quick drop, which like, I just want to sell this out and just like get my cooldown clock started and move on. So I'll do like a hundred of them at like uh, 0.05 ETH or something, just something really small that I know will sell out quick. And then between the time I decided to do that and when I actually did the drop the the market just like really really started picking up uh primarily i think because of fidenza where everyone was like looking for the next fidenza it's like oh is this the next fidenza like what's the next thing that's gonna be the next fidenza um so so yeah basically in the course of like a week or two it just went from like moving very slowly to moving very quickly where just like everything on art blocks was just like selling out even stuff that had been sitting around for like weeks or months. And if I'm not mistaken, I think by the time I did my drop, uh, literally everything on the platform had like sold out and just every single drop was like, okay, this is the only thing that's available on art blocks. And you just have like all these new eyes that are kind of coming in. So it like around that time I was like, okay, this is like, is turning into like a whole thing. Um, so I, I spent like a little bit more time uh, putting like a little bit extra polish on it, which I'm glad I did because I think that helped uh, expand the the scope of the series from 
a couple hundred to about a thousand. So it was like, okay, cool. I'll do a, a drop of like a thousand and that one. Yeah. Like that one, like the whole thing sold out in three hours, which was a lot better than I thought it was going to do. And it was like, cool, great. And this was also, by the way, this was maybe two days after I quit my day job. So it's like, okay, cool. I have enough money to last me through the end of the year. So if even if like the, the whole market takes a dump, it's like um, I have uh, a bit of runway where I can just like kind of keep uh, doing this. So like, that's great. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like things kind of kept going up from there. And then uh, by the time I got around to doing fake internet money, um, I think that was like right after the peak sort of. So I kind of get the sense that if I, I did the drop like a few days earlier, that because at that point it like everything had gotten like so hot that the only way to really do a drop was to do a Dutch auction where you just start really high and lower the price. So yeah, so basically like I think if I did it a few days earlier, it's like maybe the Dutch auction would have cleared at like a higher price, but at the same time, I like it still cleared at like a like five times the price as I saw it in a dream. And I, I still made a lot of money on it so i like can't complain by any means and i think also it got like because of all of the um the momentum that the art blocks market was experiencing then and is still experiencing i think that helped get a lot of eyes onto my work so i think like maybe from the period like starting from the period where of like or starting from maybe two months before the fake internet money released to now, I think my Twitter followers have quadrupled and I went from having no discord server to having a, a discord server with uh, m- m- many loyal fans who are willing to give their life to their, their courageous leader. No. Um, yeah. So it's just like, I think from like a community standpoint, I went from, like fairly small community to still kind of small, but also like something. And I, I, you know, I, I like where things are going. So it's, it's going well. Yeah. What kind of reactions have you gotten from your new collectors and fans? Like to the extent that, you know, sort of who's, who's, who's interested in your work and what about the, what about it's appealing to them? Like what sense are you getting of sort of the conversation around what you're creating? Yeah, I think the um like one interesting reaction which I don't want to say is the majority, but it's it's definitely like a sizable chunk of the reaction is a lot of people just kind of look at it and they're like, "Oh, this is like I don't use I don't normally buy meme art, but this is this is still pretty good." And it doesn't like quite offend me, but I I feel like when they call it like meme art, it's sort of like indicates to me that they don't like quite get it. Because like that's sort of like interacting with it on a really shallow level, but I, th- I think thankfully like the the people who um, at least are like more engaged in the like this this community I'm trying to set up and people who are like on my Discord and who kind of like interact with me more frequently on Twitter kind of get uh, a lot of the themes that I'm exploring and understand it on a deeper level, which. Sort of like what we were talking about earlier. I, I just like after 
doing this for a number of years and just not really having any audience who uh any audience like whatsoever who's like engaging with the work on a very deep level it's it's really nice to like now all of a sudden have a lot of people who i know are like looking at the the smaller details and who are appreciating it so i think as i as i do future work that's like it, it it's pretty like motivating for me to keep putting in the the effort to do these kind of like really small details and to 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 bring the quality of the work up to a, a higher level. So Steve, in in closing, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you see as the future in the near term for both your artistic kind of engagement with and production in in the NFT space and also the market more more broadly. How do you how do you think it might develop in the future? That is that is the million dollar question. I don't know if uh if anyone really has a good answer for that. Um I think for like my own personal work, um like I sort of have like a loose roadmap of kind of projects that I wanna be focusing on over the next like month or so and maybe like the next two months and just like a lot of ideas that I'd like to either start exploring or continue to explore. Uh, but like for the most part, I feel like I'm just sort of uh, like surfing the wave and it's like, there, I just feel like there's so much that's like outside of my control just because the, the market is so volatile and unpredictable. And I guess like I try to explain this to a lot of people who don't like really get it, but I always kind of have to say that like, the basically my financial success to me feels like it's due more to what happens with like federal reserve policy than it does like anything that's like remotely under my control whatsoever. Uh, because yeah, I mean, I just think that there's like, there are a lot of just like weird macroeconomic factors that are affecting the NFT market at the moment and, and the crypto market and the economy on the whole. And who the hell knows what direction any of that's going to go in. And, you know, then like on top of that, it's just like, I feel like I don't want to say NFTs are a fad because I think that there's like, there's clearly something to this. I don't think they're ever going to go away, but I think to a large extent, there's like, it's, it's definitely like exhibiting lots of signs of financial bubbles. So I don't think that what we have now is like entirely sustainable and it's, it's really hard to say like what direction that's going to move in. I think like, I guess based on like my understanding of everything, I, I personally think that the popularity of NFTs will continue to increase and they'll become more culturally relevant. And I think eventually it will get more mainstream acceptance but I think the big caveat to that is I think that even though I think the total market cap of the the NFT market is going to grow substantially, I think that's also going to be met with just like there being lots more NFTs. So I think the the average price of most NFTs are going to go like way, way, way down. And I think like a lot of the things that even a lot of like the the quote unquote like blue chip nfts that we're seeing like i think in 
five, 10 years, it's much more likely for the the blue chip NFTs to be worth like a couple thousand dollars or maybe like $10,000 as opposed to hundreds of thousands of dollars or like millions of dollars. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I just feel like that at some point we're probably going to get like some sort of correction. And even though um, I'm bullish on sort of like the technology and just its cultural impact, I don't think that's necessarily going to translate to everything or or possibly even like anything really being like worth a substantial amount of money. I think like maybe the exceptions to that are like, I could see CryptoPunks continuing to be worth just like lots and lots of money, maybe not millions and millions of dollars, but I could still, I could see them being worth a lot more than what people today who aren't in the NFT market think they should be worth if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Steve, thanks so much for making the time to talk to me. Um, it's really, I learned a lot from you. Huge fan of your work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future and hoping to get in on a, on one of the uh, offerings soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. And I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of your work also. So this has been great.
one and number two. There's calcium and phosphorus and iron good for you. With alcohol and honey, you have what it takes to be a lover and a sweetheart at the age of 93. Try that hat of call, man, eh? Huh? 